You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and we are back with Extraordinary Occurrences featuring our producer, Demarcus Adisa. What's up? What's going on, y'all? How are you feeling? Um, if I could describe it, um, I would like to use a brand of laundry detergent, and uh, that detergent is called Tide. <laughs> I'm Tide. <laughs> It's been a long uh, couple of days, and I think this is the first extraordinary occurrences in a while that we've done exactly on the fourth week. Um, on that four-week rotation, we've kind of extended a little bit because we've had some great guests in the pipeline. But it's apropos that we're doing an extraordinary occurrences this week, A, because we had an extraordinary occurrence, but also B, who had time to uh, be preparing another episode for this week as well. So it was it was good timing. You want to tell the people what we've done? I'm going to leave that to you, boss. <laughs> So um, I think we talked about it a little bit um, in a previous Extraordinary Occurrences. But if you listen to the show regularly, you know that last year we had our first annual back to school bash and backpack giveaway, with which was like a huge community block party with 700 backpacks and hamburgers and hot dogs and free carnival games and entertainment and you know, all this stuff that was all completely free to the community. And the beauty of like all of the legwork from last year is we had the exact blueprint for what to do this year, all the form letters, what to ask for, the appropriate budget it would take to really pull it off, the number of volunteers you need, everything. Like after, you know, all of those logistical, uh, all the logistical maneuvering last year, we thought it'd be really easy this year. And then COVID happened. So the events basically got canceled, you know, for the year we were kind of waiting and waiting and waiting after having connected and gotten buy-in from local politicians to partner. We were waiting. We just realized COVID wasn't going anywhere. So the first uh, thought was maybe we just have to can all of it. And then I think I just came to you and said, what if we just did a scale down version where we find families to help um, and we literally just drop off uh, care packages to them for back to school. And you were like, let's do it. Um, so that's what we plan to do. We set a goal to to raise some funds and put that together. And you worked your magic and did uh, some videos some promotional videos. And we put it out there just to see what the response was going to be. And people really showed up for us and supported it. Yeah, I was surprised. We had a really good turnout of people who uh, were moved by our mission and what we wanted to do, which is help families in need in Monmouth County. And they thought our promotional videos were very interesting um, and contributed. I was surprised at the uh, amount of support we got. Right. So we, you know, we kind of came into this thinking like, all right, like, I don't know if it's going to be one family or multiple, but let's see what what happens. And I think for me, what I had grappled with um, before we decided to do this was so many people are either struggling financially already or have an uncertain financial future because of COVID. So everybody's like, what is the economy going to do? Like, uh, am I going to have a job in a few months? Even if I have a job today, you know, the fallout when these kinds of things happen um, is it's residual. So it's, you know, you have that first wave, but then it just continues. And as the economy starts to decline, it affects various industries. Um, and so I didn't I didn't want to seem insensitive to be like, listen, I know the economy is crazy, but can you can you guys still give? 
But the reality of it is I looked at my circle and most most of my friends were, you know, pretty financially stable and still doing it, you know, doing it's, their jobs and everything else. Although unemployment numbers are high, it's people making a lot of money right now. It's a lot of people who are up right now. Um, and I think it's a lot of people who are focused because they've been home. But also just... The political climate, everything that's going on. So I, I talked to, like, I've had a, because of what we've been doing, I had a lot of conversations with people past few weeks, and it seemed like everybody has an idea. Everybody has a business in progress that they're launching, or they've already been working on quietly as a side table, kind of making a little bit of money under the table, but they're like, I'm going legitimate now. Like, this is the time to push. Right. And, and those, and a lot of those same people that I spoke of are the same ones who contributed to the campaign. People rallied. I mean, we, said, okay, let's, I think it was maybe six weeks. And we said, all right, let's do like a six week capital raise um, and and see what ha- happens and tell our story about how this is what we plan to do. Now we're doing it on a modified version. And the minute we put the video out, you know, those, those early birds were like, boom, 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 dropping 50 bucks here, hundred dollars here, two here, $200 here, 250. Um, so we had waited to reach out to other organizations to figure out the families to help because it was like let me let's see if we actually raise the money right but once um the floodgates opened then it was like okay you know let's make it happen um and and figure out how many families we can actually help so um once the groundwork was laid and you know we saw the consistent flow of money then it then it became just a question of, okay, who are we helping? Um, And we reached out to an organization that I've known since I was little, you've known since you were little, um, and they're mainstays in the community and have been since before we were born, Aslan Youth Ministries. And um, I, you know, I obviously remembered them from back in the day as a former Aslan kid, but they came, the founders came uh, last year to the gala to present the award to uh, Reverend and Mrs. Jackson. Right. So we had seen them last year and they were great supporters of the organization. So we thought maybe it was a good time to collaborate and give back to their organ. They do so much work without any recognition or seeking praise. They're so far in the background. It's wild it's how long crazy they've been doing work. How long they've been committed to these communities. And and literally, I'm jumping ahead, but um, you know, we were dropping off, you know, packages, care packages to families. And like, you know, we we got the information from the families. They're part of the ministry. Like the kids go to Aslan ministry. But it was some people who are adults. Like I went to Aslan too. I went up to Aslan back in the 80s. It's like, wow, they've been doing it for generations. And it was like I was chatting with one of my friends. I didn't even know he went to Aslan. Yeah. Grew up, we grew up. Up together, we're from the same town. He lived a block over from Nana's house, and he went to Aslan too. So let's let's pause there. So for people who are not from Monmouth County and hear this, to explain like what Aslan is, right? So Aslan, I don't even know when they were founded. I probably should have looked that up before we started recording. But when we reached out to them about the gala, they uh, the the husband uh, Stephen Craig Bogart said, "Hey, I, I knew your grandparents." You know, back in the day when we were in the neighborhood rounding up kids and getting Aslan started, they were always super supportive and doing whatever they could to help. I never knew that. Right. So clearly they've been doing this, um, you know, for at this point, 40, 50 years. I'm not even sure. But when I think back to Aslan, you know, you don't really think about as a kid what it takes logistically to serve the community at that level. But now as an adult, when I think back, so Aslan's sort of core programming was every Tuesday and Thursday, they would pick kids up for after school for a youth group. So you would go, you might play games, you have your breakout sessions. You know, they are a quote ministry. So you might 
study some scriptures or what have you, or listen to a Bible study or, or, or something like that. But that was never like the focus. It wasn't like beating you over the head with religion. They really took ministry uh, for its literal definition, meaning to serve. And you might get a snack and all this other stuff. You got to see your friends from not only your jurisdiction, but usually one town over as well. But what was crazy is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they would do that twice. So they had the younger kids, you know, who were like middle schoolers at first. I think the bus came at 430. Then they would drop all of us off because they picked us all up and dropped us all off. They would drop us off and then pick up the teenagers and the teenagers would would go to their session. Crazy. When you think about like the amount of time, the gas, like all of that is just nuts. But that was only one thing. Like every year they did back to school shopping for all the kids where they would have a, a night where you would go um, to the mall and you'd have a gift card from one of the department stores like JCPenney's or something. You had to come with a parent or guardian. You got school clothes. I went skiing for the first time with them. I went to creation, a week long camp with them. There was another sleepaway camp that people did. They did ride alongs where like you would ride to Cape May, like some crazy bike uh, experience or what have you. So all these ex- uh, experiences right. that they would expose kids to um, in areas where they never would have had access to those and things. And didn't they do camps during the summer? summer yeah, camp? they did summer camps. Because I feel like that's when I went during the summer camp. I thought you told me you remember going to like something else. I never remembered you I, going to Aslan during the week. Like I, did. I didn't go during the week. Mm-hmm. I remember going during the summer. I remember getting on that bus and doing things during the so summer. You were on the blue bus? Yeah. Okay. I, I remember going during the summer. Mm-hmm. I was never one that did, you know, I was playing sports and doing all kind of stuff during the week. But I, I remember going during the summertime because remember you on that bike. I See, but that's the crazy part. The bike that I won was during the year. I was I, there for that. I don't understand that because I won the maybe, bike. Maybe my mind is getting mixed up, but I remember them wheeling that bike out. I won the bike during the school year. Mm, maybe I was there during the school year. You know how my memory works. But for those who don't know, uh, they had a contest. Who could remember the most scriptures? You would win a bike and Delisha won the bike. <laughs> but I, the crazy part is I only started prepping like 24 hours earlier because I was like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I don't really need a bike. It's fine. And then the competitor and me kicked in and I was like, maybe I will do it. And then won the bike. Yeah, I think I was somewhere trying to be a Ninja Turtle. I don't even think I tried to. <laughs> but yeah, learn. see, my mind is not that sharp anymore right. at all. Um, but like, so now... Being, of course, an adult, but also being in this nonprofit space and understanding what it takes to sustain a nonprofit, even at a small level, let alone major that, programming like, like that year round, year round programming, full time job. It's a full time job. And you know how much money you have right, to you raise, have to raise to a lot of money. So I have an even greater respect for not only the work that they do, but how humble they are. Right. right? And unassuming. Um, so now, you know, full circle moment. Fast forward all these years later, you know, I went to Aslan 25 years ago, 26 years ago, something like that. Being able to reach out to them and say, hey, we have this small nonprofit. We want to help families for back to school. Can you identify uh, the families within your network who may be able to uh, benefit from this the most? And of course, they were like, yes, like, let's make it happen. So they identified 10 families for us um, that we could help across four different towns. Um, And we went to work. We just... You know, we were already on our way to raising the money. We, we looked at the numbers and the way things were tracking. And it was like, no, we could do this. We could do this for real. Um, so we committed to these 10 families, kept raising, kept reminding people. Um, and it worked out. People showed up and showed out. Right. So um, so then like 
after all that was done, we realized the money was coming in. Then it becomes a logistical piece. What are we getting? What are we, how are we allocating the funds? How are we getting it to people? Um, and all that other stuff. Now, last year, interestingly, last year, you know, we served, I don't know how many more families, but we also had an army of volunteers. So while we still did the majority of the lifting leading up to it, we got to that weekend. There was there was help. There was people to move things, pick up things, assemble backpacks, source things, excuse me, locate things. Not this year. Not this year. So not this year. I was sitting there in Google Sheets, like, okay, <laughs> toilet paper cost this much from Amazon. Right. Toilet it was, paper. Oh, it's it's a quarter cheaper at Walmart. Okay. Literally comparing pricing, trying to figure out what are the right things to put in the box. Also trying to figure out what grades these kids are in for these families so that we allocate. Because remember, it was still school supplies first. So making sure we have the right school supplies for the right age groups groups and stuff. So as we got closer, it was that. It was the price comparing, figuring out what we could afford, figuring out also how to get multiples of things. Because oftentimes when things are at a really great rate at retail stores, if you don't have a business account, they're not trying to uh, lift their limits for you, and right? Especially with COVID going on, there's all kinds of limits exactly. on everything that's essential. So it's even more limits than last. So last year, I like just went to Sam's Club and talked to the manager and said, "Hey, this is what we're doing. You've got these cases of Capri Suns on sale, but it says limit three, and I need forty. Like, are you willing to to do that for us?" And people and they're like, "Yeah, sure." This year, a whole lot different because people are are stockpiling. Um, but we were able to maneuver and order some stuff from Amazon, order some stuff from the various bulk retailers, order, you know, order some stuff from Walmart and um, and make it work. But as fate would have it, because Murphy's Law, the one retailer that we ordered from that we had the most issues with is the one that is normally the most reliable, Amazon. Amazon is the devil. Though, so why are you not surprised? <laughs> So, you know, canceling stuff. Oh, my packages was breaking. Things was disappearing. Like it's and I still haven't even like really sat down and figured out what they owe me money for. So it's one thing to order uh, one large container or jug of laundry detergent. What I have now learned is a whole other thing to have to order 10 from Amazon. So, you know, we had this massive order for like, I don't know how much money. I guess it was like a four figure order or whatever. And, you know, it, it accept the, or, the order. And I'm thinking, this is great. Like, you know, it actually went through, paid for it, whatever. Then it shipped. And I'm like, miraculously, all this stuff is going to make it to the house. Right. Then I wake up one morning and I have an issue, an, an email from Amazon that says portion of your package was damaged. Uh, and we're not even going to try to reship it to you. We're just going to refund you. Now, normally that would be okay, but obviously needing this stuff for this purpose, uh, I need to understand what's happening here. So um, several calls and emails later, long and short of it was, they were like, we're just going to give you your money back and uh, just go ahead and reorder it. Now, here's the problem. The way Amazon's algorithms are set up, even though they they put in their system that they couldn't, deliver it and the um, the uh, the items were damaged and they gave me my money back, the system still counts those purchases against a purchase limit. So then when I go to reorder the things, they're like, you've exceeded your limit. You can't reorder anything. So then it became the hunt to, to have to then go pick this stuff up from other places. And, and that's when you were like on a world tour to all BJ's across and the Sam's world Club. to get the different things. <laughs> all across the world. Buying f- 500 packs of Capri Suns. <laughs> 
at three different targets. Just crazy. And then there were stores that accepted the orders and you got there and it was like, actually we don't we don't well, have we that. Don't, we don't have that. We don't have that. Um we 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 uh we ordered uh when we ordered those granola bars from Sam's Club and we showed up and the dude was trying to give us like uh a milk crate full of bacon. I'm like, <laughs> bro, that's not our he's like, No, this bacon is yours. I'm like, no, there's supposed to be Capri Suns with that. Like, no, the bacon is yours. I'm like, brother, we don't <laughs> That's a perishable. First of all, that's swine. <laughs> Second of all, that's a perishable good, brother. <laughs> Lips that touch swine will never Lips touch swine. Because I'm so divine. <laughs> so it was so as this happens, it happened last year. There are always, no matter how much you plan, no matter how much you try to plan ahead. Well, first of all, we didn't even get the list of families until like with the actual like demographics until the last minute. Right. So a lot of stuff we couldn't order. But no matter how much you plan, it always comes down to the why. So what ended up happening for us is we had to plan delivery, you know, plan delivery day for a Saturday. We didn't even get all the stuff completely until Friday. Until Friday. I had to go all around the world because I lost my oh wallet my somehow God. in the process. Okay, so let's talk about that. First of all, you always have like some major, what was it, the gala you got into an accident? I had a car accident before the gala. <laughs> yes. I don't think you had anything major before the uh, the badge. backpack drive. I don't, I don't think so. Before the backpack drive, I froze my eggs. Yeah. So I was out of the game for a minute. So that was that. Um, so this time, tell the people. This time I went, I was running around to pick stuff up. I stopped at Walmart to grab some Simply Lemonade, greatest <laughs> drink on earth. Um, and I came back to the house and, you know, was until the next day. I was like, where's my wallet? And I literally turned the whole house upside down looking for my wallet. Could not find my wallet. Had my debit card and my license and everything on it. But ironically, nobody had touched it. So I honestly believe it's in the house somewhere. So... You know, I'm black, can't be walking around with any ID, so I'm moving with my passport. But you're like, no, you need your license because you're on the van. And we, we had need to, to rent a van. We had to rent a van. So I had to go to the DMV. Oof. And post, co- post, I, I post, post, closed DMV for months. Visit. That's crazy. Listen, y'all. The line was wrapped around the block, <laughs> like two blocks, like it was the club. You were gone for like the whole I day. I was gone the whole day. I woke up six o'clock in the morning. I was there like before seven. I didn't get my license to like three, four o'clock. <laughs> but I told you, I was like, mm, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. I knew it. because I, I was like, like hey, it'll be fine. I rolled up. I saw them chairs. It was like people was waiting to like get into a concert. Waiting for Jordans to drop. Yeah, the people had headphones and umbrella. It was raining. There was police out there. I was like, yo, what is this? And see, I knew because I had seen people that I know posting about it saying that like, they had somebody wait in line for them starting at like 3 a.m. or something. So I knew it was going to be crazy. All weeks to lose your wallet. Well, you lose your wallet a lot before it not to, to pop back up. That's not losing my wallet. I just misplace <laughs> it. Yeah, I feel like you're coming for my neck. I just misplace it, okay? I have been trying to get you to get in the habit of putting your keys and your wallet in the same well, location. If I wasn't tired all the time. <laughs> It would be a little bit different. Listen, I can't tell y'all how many times we're on a schedule for something that gets derailed because DeMarcus has to look for his wallet that is inevitably in the most, like, the strangest of places. It's okay. It's who you are. It's fine. I I accept it. But anyway, so we burned, you know, you burned a whole day on the wallet situation and it never fails. Which This is also why last year, the week leading up to the bash, I took 
I took that week off because it never fails. Like when we're doing something major for me, things always kick up on the work front. So I always have some like crazy, you know, deal I'm working on or just something crazy happening where I can't kind of juggle both things equally. And that's exactly what happened this week. So for, for the entire week, basically we were just stuffing deliveries in the basement because you also had, you know, your work is picking back up now too. So you had shoots to do. Right. And I, (laughs) and I had to do a shoot and then turn around and do a reshoot. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't even going to get into that. (laughs) So, yes. So working and just stuffing these huge 50 pound boxes or shipments in the basement, like I guess we're just going to deal with that on Friday. So then literally you burned a day in the DMV, burned another day having to reshoot. (laughs) for a gig that you're working on. So we get to Friday. I am like feverishly working all day because I know we've got to pick the, the, you know, the rental van up and get to work. So it was literally like Friday, I was editing an agreement. I was picking up granola bars. And and you're running around to all these different locations, locations, picking up the last few things. And I just, I remember pressing send on this contract that I had marked up and literally have not stopped moving. I feel like since like press send, Got up. You came back to the house. We went and picked up the rental van, came back here. And then we had to start unpacking things and sorting them. Yo, I was like, man, this is going to be a cinch. Man, we started unpacking those boxes and I realized again, I'm like, oh, that's right. Like every family is getting eight bottles of Fabuloso. <laughs> like it didn't, I look, I put, I'm the one that put the list together. I made the spreadsheet. It didn't seem like that much on the spreadsheet, but when you see like a 50 pack of dial in person, it's like, oh, this is a lot. When you see a case of 80 rolls of toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> and we had three of them, it was 240 rolls of toilet paper. And you got to count them bad boys out. And I mean, I know y'all probably like, it's, it's counting, it's mad simple. But when you haven't really slept and you've been r- ripping and running and it's 12 o'clock in the morning, you're like, yo, is that 24 rolls of toilet paper? All right, let me, I got And we, we get to the end and you're like, why do I have two rolls of toilet paper right, left we over? sitting there scratching our heads. All uh, them loose pins we had to bag up. Oh, that was my favorite part. You trying to count out loose pins at like one o'clock. One o'clock in the morning. I got a whole stack of pins. And then they gave us more. It was like more black pins and everything, but there was red pins mixed in. So I was trying to evenly (laughs) distribute them in sandwich bags or whatever. I felt like a drug operator. And this and this is where I think. I won't say we shoot ourselves in the foot because I'm proud of who we are as people. But this is why it's such a heavy lift, because we don't do the whole they'll just get what they get and make the best of it. We really try to evenly allocate and package it up nice and, you know, make make sure everybody yeah. gets a little of everything. And it takes forever. And it's, it, it takes forever. And Delisha be be <laughs> Delisha be on her perfectionist wave like, hold up, hold up. You can't give them one pack of Glad dryer sheets and one pack of Bounce. I'm like, they both dryer sheets. No, they got the match. Now you got to go back and look through the other bottle. Like, For the right. record, I did not do that, but okay. <laughs> Um, but the other thing was then we because we didn't open everything to the end, it was things missing. I still don't even know what Amazon charged me for didn't actually send. So I have to go back and figure that out. So then like we determined that we were all like we were missing toothpaste. You know, it was just crazy. So hold on, hold on. For the record, you did not do that, but you wasn't matching everything up in the boxes. What was I matching up in the boxes? Since you won't match- let this go. Huh? You wasn't matching stuff up in a box. What was I matching? I'm just letting it go. Yeah, because you can't figure it out. But anyway, 
Because <laughs> I'm sleepy, but I know that happened. I don't know. I, don't, I honestly don't remember what you're talking about, but okay. I'm not even, I'm not even trying to be funny. I don't remember, but I will cop to the fact that yes, I'm a perfectionist and I, I like things a certain way. But what I was on was for me, it wasn't about mismatched dryer sheets. It was like, no, if one family gets paper towels, this family needs to have paper towels as well. Like that's where I get like, cause you know, folks, they trade notes and all this other stuff. So that was it. That was, that was really where I was really, really focused. But anyway, so what time do we finish like boxing everything up? It was like definitely after midnight at some point. It was almost one. We well, look by the time everything got loaded up and we got back inside, it was close to two. So that was the other thing. When we finally loaded everything up, then it became, is this cargo van actually big enough for all of this stuff? So trying to rearrange everything to actually and, fit it in And the van. load it up in a way that makes sense. Okay, so that was the other thing, right? I consider myself a bit of a logistical master, but when you are tired, everything seems like a recon mission, right? So like you feel like you're on special forces, a Navy SEAL or something trying to figure this out. So we had... We went to four different towns. So we had to load things up in a way. Right? First, we had to map the most efficient route because we also rented a U-Haul. So when you rent a U-Haul, you're being charged by the mile. So also trying to do it in the most efficient you know, route so that we save money. But then after we loaded everything, we had to load stuff in the van according to the drops. So that was a whole other Tetris move to get things in. You got to remember these families are different sizes. So some people have a little more than others, what have you. So long story short, I think we finished by two, two o'clock in the morning, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then went to sleep for four hours or so and got up and prepared to actually make the deliveries. And then one of the pieces of advice we got from those who've been doing this for a hundred years is that you can never confirm too much with the families what time you're going to be there. So Friday in the midst of all the crazy, I sent out delivery windows like I'm a cable guy. I can I reached out to everybody before. Yeah. That. So you reached out earlier in the week to say, hey, we're coming on Saturday. Is that good? And then half the people didn't even respond to you. <laughs> That was the first thing. So we had to get the other org involved to, and they were like going to the towns, knocking on people's doors. Numbers weren't working. Yes, of course. So then, I, you know, I tried to follow up on Friday with delivery windows. Some people responded, some did, didn't. So again, the org stepped in. Then every step of the way on Saturday, we're like, you're the next stop. We're two stops away. What have you. But I will say this, as tired as I still am, um, and as sore as my body is, knowing that those families didn't know what to expect... And then seeing their faces when we actually dropped all that stuff, it made it all worth it. It always makes it worth it. By the time, I mean, by the time we got to delivery, I mean, that was the easy part. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the super easy part. It's not, you know, there was people there to help give a hand and get the really big stuff off. But everything else was light. But that's the easy part. And like, you know, seeing the faces, seeing the kids' reactions, like, oh, snap, they got granola bars. So like... Chips. (laughs) Chips, Capri Suns. People busting stuff out of wrapper before they even get (laughs) in the house. Like, that was the cool part. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I don't think we've mentioned publicly at all is that, you know, we were focused on, so every family, let's just break this down. So every family got backpacks, even if they had college, a couple of families had college freshmen. So they got laptop bags, school supplies, pencil cases, all that stuff, notebooks, filler paper, binders, pens, pencils, erasers, glue, markers, colored pencils, crayons, all that great stuff. 
Then we had the household items. Um, so that's detergent, dryer sheets, dish soap. Good old fabuloso. Fabuloso, because we couldn't find a lot of disinfectants in stock anywhere or their limits were, there were no getting around the limits for disinfectant except for fabuloso. Um, and, you know, laundry detergent, dryer sheets, the list goes on and on. Deodorant, lotion, toothpaste, toothbrushes, all this other stuff. But also because we're still living in the era of COVID, we gave PPE. Right. So masks and gloves and hand sanitizer as well. But And then the non-perishable food items. So snacks, goldfish, you know, the huge BJ's or Sam's Club size, a variety of chips and stuff, um, granola bars, drinks, all this other stuff. But then on top of it, because of the way people came through for us in terms of donations, we were able to hand every family a hundred dollar gift card to the grocery store to be able to buy, um, you know, proteins and vegetables and, and perishable items and stuff. So um, it felt good to not only be able to do that, but like leading up to the week, you know, we were hearing from families about denied food stamps and other their social services, et cetera. So knowing that folks were in dire straits and we were able to provide a little bit of relief um, felt really, really good. It's just the little things, y'all, that really makes the difference in people's lives. Those boxes, those boxes are a gas. And I mean, I mean, we both, Delisha and I have been there at different parts in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, she experienced different things because she's been alive longer than I have. But I can remember you know, being 12 and 13 and somebody dropping a box off at the house. And it meant everything because it's more money to go to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes you forget that, um, that you know, everyone isn't able, right? Right. Everyone's not able. And um, when you do those little things, you can... <laughs> Give people a break. It might just be for a month or two months worth of stuff, but it's a break. It takes a relief off of them and they can deal with the other things that they're dealing with, that they're balancing. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, you and I talk a lot about a lot of things related to money, right? Monetizing the show, real estate investment, the stock market. You know, you have all these plans and things you want to do to create generational wealth. Um, and, and though we grew up in a really hardworking, you know, family, definitely a part of that segment of the population that's just a couple of paychecks away from homelessness. Um, when you get a little far removed from from that of like, you know, where's my next meal coming from? You can lose sight of how much of a privilege it is to like go to the grocery store and just get what get you need. what you want or and get what you yeah, need. Yeah. And even if it's not, even if you're not buying New York strip, right, or porterhouse steaks every week, you still eat good. You know, you're going to be right. okay. Um, and to, you know, pull up on these families and, you know, hear people say, people told me God was going to make a way. I didn't know how I was going to feed my kids this month. And you guys are, you know, literal angels to hear that it is a sobering reality that there's a lot going on in the world. We all have our own personal challenges. But just to know that, like, you have a roof over your head and food in the refrigerator is a blessing. It it puts a lot of things in perspective and it it pulls up old memories and stuff like like it. It makes you emotional to think about it. I've been there like Mm -hmm. it's just all you got to eat for dinner is grits. Right. You got it's grits and like. Two eggs. We about to split these eggs and that's what's for dinner. Right. And it's like you want to do something else, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Like you're a kid. What are you going to do? You know, dig, right. in, dig in the couch, find some chains and go to McDonald's or something. But like something like that can make all the difference and, and, and give people a little bit of breathing room to cover the necessities and to figure everything else out. It's not like we are, you know, alleviating all the problems, but it's giving somebody a pause for a second of break. Like at least I don't have to deal with this. And that, and I think that's the piece, you know, for me, if, and I'm sure, you know, our, some of our listeners have been there, but when you are 
every day is a struggle of where's my next meal coming from? How am I going to pay these bills? They're threatening to turn my lights off. It is suffocating. It's completely constricting. You feel like you can't even take a deep breath because the level of stress and pressure of just trying to manage. Um, So to see people yesterday visibly breathing a sigh of relief. Um, it took me back, like you said, and it it is, it just, oh, it makes me really emotional. Um, but it's why I think we made the choice to say we don't have to be multimillionaires to like help the community and give back every little bit counts. Yo, the what's so wild is like the people who looked out and did little things, the people that are called, they weren't rich. No. They were everyday like working class people <laughs> that like came through. Um Good family friend used to come around, you know, market took a downturn. We was struggling. You were gone by then. Mm-hmm. Used to come through with this big and a white truck and drop these big boxes off. There used to be chicken in there. Used to be snacks, all kind of stuff. And I'd be like, oh, we eating good. Like it, I was upbeat for the week. Like, ooh, mm-hmm. the refrigerator is stocked full, but we we needed that. Mm-hmm. And it, it made all the difference. And it wasn't like he was like some millionaire or something like that. He was a working class like dude with the CDLs. And I think that's important to note, particularly for the, the black community, because historically we are a culture of if I have two cents, you have one. Like, you right. know, and, and pooling our resources to help in, in any way that that we can. And, um, you know, we both have corporate friends, not all. But a lot of my corporate friends are one generation removed from that. Right. So it it pulls at their heartstrings in a different way because, you know, we all know what it's like to, like, be in the struggle. To to see Nana back in the day go shopping, not only go shopping for herself, but go shopping for other people. She'd fill up, fill up two carts worth of food and put some food off to the side to give to somebody else. And she ain't even got it like that. Right. Or just... <laughs> cooking and the front door was open and whoever needed a meal. Yeah, got needed a meal. They go in the back, go in that deep freezer. And do what they needed to do, you know, and um, and back to like from a cultural perspective, even now as an adult, I can't tell you how many homes I've been to, you know, with black women and they send you home with detergent or something. I'm like, I don't need this. I'm, I'm fine. They're like, oh, just take it. I got it on sale. It is, it is a thing that is I won't say it's unique to our culture, but it's a common thread that that binds a lot it of us. It is a common thread that binds a lot of us. And I think one of the interesting parts are is people do it and they don't expect nothing in return. Mm-hmm. Like, especially back in the day, there was no Facebook for that. There was no nothing. Like, people just did it. They didn't be like, oh, you know, I gave so-and-so a box of chicken last week. Right. right? It's just something like, nah, I keep... And it, that's what, like, keep, like, made the solidified the bonds between people and continues to solidify the bonds between people because it's like, yo, this person did something Mm -hmm. and they didn't have to and they weren't seeking anything in return. And one of the things that I think is sometimes a a negative um, outgrowth of social media is that a lot of things have become an arm's length transaction. So you see it like when somebody dies, the people, we're not talking about COVID obviously, but regular time, the people who are um, really, really close to you, they still show up. But a lot of it is just like, sorry for your loss. Like people post, and they move on. Right. You know, when, you know, back in the day, pre-social media, if you lost a family member, 
your home for seven days is a revolving door of people. Of people coming. Bringing food. It's always a bunch of fried chicken. But bringing food, drinks, paper towels, you know, whatever you needed as a family to get you through that week. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's not the same anymore because we've gotten into this like digital culture where you feel a false sense of substantive connection just because you follow somebody on social media. Um, so I think there are, there are certain parts of our culture that I'm proud of. And I, it's a legacy that I want to sustain, even if it is just planning these events, you know, at various points in the year. It's, it's hard to do it every day. It takes a lot of money. Um, and like we posted about today, the issues are systemic. Um, but pooling our resources and being able to touch people in that way is amazing. And we didn't even get into like the area where we were and that dichotomy. Yo, it's, it's so crazy um, to the people that's not familiar. We're from Monmouth County. Um so we grew up in Tim Falls, not too far from Red Bank and Asbury Park. And there's like, uh, there's a huge wealth divide there. And when you grow up there, you kind of don't realize it, right? Because depending on what town you live in, like Tim Falls is not a, it ain't, it's not a bad town. I hate to use that terminology, but everybody ain't got it. It's got, it has its rough spots. Like you might, growing up, you might see some crazy stuff depending on where you live every once in a while. But it's still just typical neighborhood fights. So people go on, t- typical neighborhood thing. People are going to fight occasionally in the streets. Somebody's going to get cussed out. But still, just a welcoming town. But like as you said earlier, a lot of people were one or two paychecks away from being in the street. Um, and the thing about what and what's happened in recent years in the town, the wealth gap has grown greater because you have all these people leaving North Jersey or coming from New York and moving, want, wanting to live on the shore, having another property on the shore is driving real estate values. Or career up. military folks who settle, right. retire there and they retire as a lieutenant or, you know, colonel or what have you. That too. And these neighborhoods, it's like... It's wild because it's like you can literally drive down a road and, you know, this part of the neighborhood is rough. <laughs> Y'all know it, you know, might be a, a used, uh, broken washer on the front porch and, you know, windows got the plastic over them. It's, everything looks kind of, ra- you know, raggedy. And you go up three lights and you see somebody in a Ferrari and it's a perfectly manicured lawn. The kids are out playing and this is like this. These people live five minutes apart and on complete opposite sides of the spectrum. And we, you know, we knew that going in, but to see it um, while driving that van, like literally driving through town where you leave public housing or subsidized housing, and then you go to the light and you see somebody in a convertible, like 2020 Mercedes Benz, right? Right. Or you drive on Ocean Avenue and these are there these huge beach homes, which are owned by titans of industry. Like when I used to, when I first moved back from DC and I was taking the Academy commuter bus from down that way up to New York, the Academy driver, we drive on Ocean Avenue and he would tell me which family owned each house. And it was all these families that just that made money in retail or, you know, right. n- names that you know, finance, the restaurant industry or whatever. Um, so, and I, and I talk to people now who talk about Asbury Park because folks who are being priced out of being on the water, as, as as always happens, you know, with gentrification, they're now moving inland. So I'm talking to people and these are colleagues, right? Um, and I'm always hanging in the balance between two worlds, as you know. But these are colleagues who are like, I'm thinking about buying a fixer up or an Asbury Park. 
And it's like we're we're we grew up by there. We're not from Asbury, but we grew up what fifteen minutes away right. from Asbury. Back in the day, nobody wanted to go. Nobody. There. So you you talk to these folks now, and they're like, "Oh, I was on the shore this weekend, even with COVID. I was on the shore. Asbury is so great. You know, they have this hotel now, which is four hundred dollars a night or whatever it is. Um, which also denied me entry, but that's a whole story for another right. podcast. Um, but like, I looked up the census records, the current census records right now for the area, Asbury Park's poverty rate is 28.6%. You know what the national poverty rate is? What, 21? 11.8. Wow. And that's just Asbury. We are, Actually, we also went through Long Branch. Long Branch is 19.1%, you know? And it amazed me being in downtown because you remember how ashy Long Branch right. used to be downtown mm-hmm. um, when we were kids? And it's like, it's still got some some ways to go, but they've got updated restaurants they're putting in on the waterfront. It's crazy. But it's like, you know, one of the places that we dropped off a package to wasn't too far from the beach. So it's people hopping out of luxury vehicles, putting, you know, their sunscreen, suntan, on. sunscreen on and stuff like that and getting ready. And it's just people sitting on the porch looking depressed. Right. And it's like two different and the people, not nothing against the people in the luxury vehicles, but it's like they don't even see it. That doesn't exist to them. No, it's a backdrop. It's a backdrop to whatever they're doing. And, um, you know, I it got to me yesterday just seeing that juxtaposition um, of abject poverty and the lap of luxury all coexisting. And this is happening all over the country. It happens right? everywhere. We we know it. And I think what bothers me, and you and I were talking about this um, last night, is when people sit in their ivory tower and they say, well, they're living in such poverty. Why do they have an iPhone? As if not buying an iPhone or a smartphone is going to somehow uh, pull you out of the depths of despair and financial insecurity. Right. It's one phone. It's one phone. And it actually probably makes sense to have that phone. They probably have an iPhone, but don't have a laptop. Right. And the phone is a computer and everything else for them. Exactly. So it's just people that speak like that. I don't even get into, like I was telling you, I I don't even have debates with them anymore. I just already know where you're coming from. I see how you're thinking. That thousand dollar phone is not going to, what is a thousand dollars going to do for an adult with two or three kids? When that you, lives in New Jersey. When you already have food insecurity, when you already are running at a deficit on a regular basis and there's no way really to get caught up, you might do a little bit at tax refund time or something. It's not. It's 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 not. But people like to, um, you know, from from their place of financial independence, if you just don't buy a pair of Jordans or uh, a a an iPhone, you'll be okay. And that's just not, that's just not true. The problem yeah. is so much deeper so much and more, than much that. more nuanced than that. And what people don't even realize is sometimes those little purchases are the little pieces of joy people get mm-hmm. to have, right? So I can't afford all these things, but you know what? I can hustle up a little bit of bread and I can get these J's and they're going to be clean and people are going to see me in them. And that's going to bring a little bit of joy to my life. Right. $180 sneakers. What is $180 going to do in the grand scale? And further back, let's go back to social services for a minute. Let's go back to the back to school drive we did last year. All of our forms were electronic. Right. And that that's the same for most social services. There are things you got to fill out. You got to check in on things, all this other stuff, unemployment, whatever. So the reality of it is you need access Right. To some form of a device. And you might or might not have Wi-Fi. Exactly. I'm like, we went through this week. People who we thought we were connected to, phone got cut off in the middle of all this. And we had to figure it out, right? 
So, you know, when people say that, I just think it's such a short sighted um, and, and frankly, arrogant and ill-informed approach and commentary on what is really a systemic problem with many, many layers. Many, many, many layers. Yeah. So you just calling up past experiences. <laughs> yeah, it's, it angers me. And I think, you know, sometimes people look at the station that I'm in in life and the schools that I've gone to and they think that we share the same views. And it's like, um, I'm not a Huxtable. Like my grandparents had a third and sixth grade education. Like, please, we are not we are not the same. My mom was a secretary. (laughs) You know, um, so I, I walked away from yesterday feeling really proud of what we did and having so much joy about it, but also just like feeling like what you mentioned earlier of like, Okay, we helped people for this month to make things a little bit easier. But what happens next month and the next month and the next month, you know, and um, there it's a complex problem. And and I'm not I don't say all things we've said to say that, like, people don't need financial literacy because they do. Right. There is an element of like uh, fiscal education that I wish was in these communities. But if they don't have enough money to go around anyway, it's like, OK, What's, you can teach somebody a budget. But if it's not enough money for the entire around, budget. What? What's right, really going to happen really here? Happen. And if they've gone to schools that didn't really prepare them for to, to get a specialized education or pick up a trade, then what's next? Right. Um, there's so many things. It's like one thing piles on another. And that's how you end up in a situation where you're underemployed right. and don't have the money you need to make moves. So um, I'm thinking a lot about that. And we're not a full time org. We can't solve all these problems. But how but, do we help? But I, I think and we talked about this afterwards, I think. No one org is going to solve all these problems, but I think that's why it's important that everyone does their part, mm-hmm. right? That you do something, right? You don't have to save the world, but if everyone does a little bit, right, it, great things can happen. It's like ants working together, right? Right. So, you know, we were able to help these families out. We gave a little bit. We helped them out this month. If a local church does something, they can get something next month. These are little things, and that's why things are important. We didn't get any, again, it was like the last year. We didn't have any major donations. It was just regular people. $20 here, $25 here, $50 here, $100, $250 here. Those little donations add up into large amounts of money, right? And so people act like it doesn't matter. I don't have a whole lot. You don't have to have a little lot. It just takes a bunch of people that have a little. Back in the day, they used to pass the collection plate mm-hmm. for things. People would throw their little nickels and dimes out. That's how a lot of people, you think about it historically, that's how a lot of people got buried. You right. couldn't afford to bury someone. You didn't have, They didn't have life insurance. So the church would pass around the collection plate and people would throw nickels and dimes and quarters and get the money up to bury someone. It's true. And I think people kind of, I'm on my, my soapbox, but I think people kind of forget. It's like we have always been a people that have done stuff collectively. It's not for one person to bear the brunt, but do your part. And I'm not saying you have to do it every day, every month, but try to do something at least once a quarter, if not once a year. And if everybody does something once a year, you can affect some sort of change. And you don't know how those things will reverberate or change the trajectory into someone's life. We went to Mr. J's camp. You know right. what I mean? I just mentioned, you know, Mr. Lawrence, who used to come around in the truck and give us those meals. I never forgot that. I never forgot that. One Christmas, a family friend, we didn't have, I, didn't, I wasn't really getting anything for Christmas, bought me a whole bunch of clothes. I never forgot that. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably do that one day when I'm in the position. Oh, yeah, I'll buy all, you ain't got enough, that's fine. Man. I'll buy all the Christmas gifts for your kids. But like, you never know what single action, what can be set into motion from those things. Right. Absolutely. And um, I think that's why, you know, we talked a lot about STEM and 
giving kids exposure. We talked about young adult job readiness. So for us, it's not just about providing a meal and like, yes, those things we want to do, providing school supplies and we'll continue to do those. We want to build on those to give exposure because when you have exposure, you tap into what your talents are. You may not even know, have known were there. And also you see what's possible. Right. Like, I didn't even know this was a career. I can code. I can do this. I can build robotics. Um, so that's important to me as well to us, because then you start to change the possibilities for family and families. And that's when you change the course by generation, right? Generation by generation and start to steer the ship in a different direction. And that's important. Right. And this is just the entry point, y'all. We got way more things planned for when the bags get bigger. Exactly. To build in the future, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah, and I can't tell you like how many people reached out to me who gave 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I'm like, I just wish I could do more. And I kept telling them like every little bit it counts. counts. $25, you know, that's detergent and toilet paper for one more family. You know, all of it starts to add up. And I think we get caught in this idea again, because of social media, you see people, you know, Bloomberg, the Bloomberg Foundation gave $100 million to Black medical schools. Beyonce gave a million dollars to black businesses in honor of her birthday. All that is great. So you start to feel like when I get to a certain level and my money is super long, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And if we keep it at a bean, a lot of those large corporate donations, when institutions get donated, a lot of that money go to paying people's salaries. And that's the other thing. And, you know, talking to someone who looked really closely at some senior level positions in a nonprofit space, you look at these big nonprofits that pull in millions of dollars, what the the executive director is making. Right. (laughs) It's like a corporate salary, you know? So, um, and hey, listen, it's stressful running a nonprofit, especially one that has an endowment of millions of dollars. I'm not knocking it, but I'm saying there's a lot of money that goes to overhead. These galas that they put on, you know, you might spend... 100K, 200,000, quarter million dollars on the gala itself to get the it crowd there. Um, So that's a whole game as well. Right. But again, going back to just collective economics, there's so much we can do as a community just by pitching in a little bit here and there and, and just throwing those lifelines to the people who need it most and then building on that. And as we all grow, we all get to the next station in life, remaining committed uh, to that support for those who are less fortunate and, and growing um, the various things or initiatives that are actually happening. And that's our plan. And and while it can be stressful and it can be exhausting, um, the adrenaline that I feel when it's over and the joy makes it all worth it. That's facts. So with that being said, um, Collective economics, Collective economics. Ujima. Let's do I think it, that right? was, That's Ujima. what it's called. Is, it, is that the one? That's the I don't know. I don't, sp- I don't speak Swahili, <laughs> but y'all, y'all look it up. Y'all know about Kwanzaa. Um, but, you know, because we have people still asking, where can I donate? Where can I donate? And people were donating up until the 11th hour. We've decided to collaborate with Aslan again to provide support at Thanksgiving. Hey. Um, so that's the next thing we're working on. So if you listen to this and you're like, I meant to donate, uh, but I forgot or I didn't hear anything about it until this episode, there are opportunities where where we've always said we were committed to multiple events a year, uh, you know, trying to land at two to three. 
but we're even going to try to do that in COVID. So up next, Thanksgiving holiday, we really want to try to bless these families again. So if you're thinking about it, you want to give, even if you want to give on a recurring basis every month, we're going to make that possible again. So we're in the process of updating the website, hostafund.org, but there will be a donate button there where you can sign up for a one-time donation or recurring if you would like. We're going to make it happen. Let's make it happen, people. Yeah. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm a bit delirious because we didn't really get a day off today, but that's a whole other episode for another I've day. I've been up all day. <laughs> I'm I'm sitting in clothes covered in paint. No, no break. And here's the thing. The event is over for the people, but it's not over for us. Contribution letters have to go out. I have to file for tax exempt reimbursements from, from retailers that didn't have our information on file. You're working on a recap video and you have like 17 million other video projects happening at the same time. Graphics work. And gotta yeah, update the website. I got to go back to these contracts. Got also. To, I have to reach out to some other people locally to see if we can forge some relationships. There's a lot going on for the next thing. We have to decide whether we're rolling the dice on a gala next year. We don't really know yet because um, this COVID thing not over. So it's a lot happening. But I will say my heart is full. My heart is full. I think once again, we did our grandparents proud. Oh, for sure. So if you're looking to to get involved in some way, you know how to reach us. You can uh, look into the nonprofit at www.hostafund.org. If you listen to the show often, you already know December 26th, we're everywhere. Uh, Most active probably on IG. But you can find us also. And if you are into this show, you're into what we're doing, even if you don't give us money, just a like, share and subscribe uh, is helpful. We are not a show without you. And, for, and let me uh, time out. I know I'm interjected, but shout out to everybody who just shared. Yes. Comment. You you help the algorithm. You push the things out. When we release the, the commercials and the ads and the flyers, shout out to everyone who just liked, shared and commented because mm-hmm. that that helps. Mm hmm. That helps. That helps push it up the timeline and the news feed and get more exposure. We appreciate that. Every every piece of effort uh, counts. And we know it works because it's a couple of de- the donations were like, oh, I saw this on so-and-so's page. Right. It's people we didn't know. It's right. names popping up. I do not know no this No clue person. who this is. So even if you just are blowing the horn for us and saying, hey, this is what they're doing. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. This does feel like a family, a family of listeners, a family of guests, family of 26ers who really have a vision to leave the world better than we found it. So we appreciate you. We've been talking about um, annual events and things that we can do to kind of strengthen the network and remain connected beyond talking to you in the episodes and posting on social media, but just continue to support us. Keep us in your thoughts. Like I said, if you want to get involved in some way, we're here. We are not stopping. We're going to continue to build, uh, continue to do the work, and we hope that you will join us in some way. Any final words you want to add? Can't stop. Won't stop. Bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) We back to the Diddy speak. I got it. We did not uh, note the fact that you have a do-rag on your head uh, with a print on it that is akin to Versace. And it's silky. And it's very silky because we made a stop in the beauty supply store where we were uh, home (laughs) after all the drops. And you did it for the culture. I do it for the culture. (laughs) (laughs) To let the kids know, you know, that they can live luxurious too. My pure presence is an inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you've enjoyed this episode, again, like, share, subscribe, tell somebody about it. And if you don't do anything else, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Peace. 
Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.